praise you, praise you. All right, Tiana. Sometimes it lives in the way. Woohoo! I did not need to know that. All right, it's for real. Come on. You ready? Yes, sir. Father God, we just thank you that you've made us your children and that we can come to you with our prayers and our petitions and know that you hear us and uh, when there's things that we can't handle, we can come to you and, and you handle them for us. And we praise you for it and we thank you for it. You are so good to us. And we thank you for the guidance and the love and the, everything that you give us and how you walk us through life uh, with your help and with your guidance and with your direction. And uh, right now I thank you for the power and the authority that you've given me to use your son's name, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I just come against this um, vaccine mandate that, that our government is trying to impose on on uh, your people. And I I break that mandate in the name of Jesus Christ. I commanded it to come to nothing. And that they scrap it in Christ's name. Amen. 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 This is exciting. Mm -hmm. You already have it going, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well. Is Hannah here? This is, yeah, this is fresh here. off the press. <laughs> okay. This is sweet sanctification. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Strive for peace. We dealt with that last week. With everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That narrative, him seeking it with tears, I'm not going to go to today. But I want to say this up front. God allows space for grace and blessing. And he doesn't want us to fall back from the grace that he gave us. And we went over this through Hebrews several times about, you know, while it is called today. While it is called today to repent, to walk with the Lord. Because there comes a time where God says, that's it. It's done. And so when Jacob realized, or I, um, Esau realized Jacob had gotten the blessing, no amount of crying would reverse the order. His time to repent was done. So, I want to look at selling his birthright again. Genesis chapter 25, verse 19, or verse 29, I should say. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom, because he wanted red stew. I mean, 
Can you imagine if it was Jacob and exhausted? <laughs> Jacob fought exhausted. No, it's not what you think it is. <laughs> exhausted is his brother. No. They called his name Edom. Jacob said, show me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. <clears throat> I don't know if you siblings have ever, you know, partitioned off favorite toys this way where you, 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 you might have got a temporary advantage and lost your favorite toy to your brother. And then Dad said, we're no, done. Because this story, <laughs> that didn't happen because this story scared me. Never, <laughs> never happened. Never happened, right? <laughs> no, all, all mine were hand-me-downs. Oh, all, all yours were hand-me-downs. <laughs> the box, I, everything. I complained, I complained about hand-me-downs one time. My dad said, at least your shoes match. Carrie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you had stones. You had stones that you could skip skip over on the pond where you lived. Don't there you, you go. That's right. <laughs> then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. Okay, pretty good meal, but is it worth a birthright? And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright, thought little of it. That that bowl of lentil stew was of more importance to him. So this blessing, this birthright, I just want to review it. I know you know it, but I just want to review it real quick. God told Abraham that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We find in Galatians that this is God preaching the gospel to Abraham. That's Genesis 12.3. The promise that through Abraham all families of the earth would be blessed is the promise of Messiah. It's the promise of redemption. That promise came to Abraham by covenant. And then God said to him, my covenant will I establish with Isaac. This covenant that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, that whoever curses you will be cursed, and whoever blesses you will be blessed. That covenant, God said, he would establish with Isaac. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Genesis 21, 12 and in Romans 9, 7, and Galatians 3, 16, ultimately reveals to us what this actually means. Galatians 3, 16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, singular. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This birthright, that Esau stood by being firstborn to inherit was the blessing of through his lineage to bring Christ into the world. He thought lentil stew was more important. Let yes. that sink wow. in for a minute. Wow. He thought lentil stew was of more importance than saving the world. Okay? Genesis 27, verse 28. May God give you the dew of heaven. This is Isaac's blessing on Jacob. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. All of this is physical and spiritual. The, the dew of heaven is, is the showering of the Holy Spirit. Um, fatness of the earth, the, 
the grain and wine, the, the word of the Lord, the blood of the covenant. Let people serve you. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. And nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Isaac said this when he thought he was speaking over his eldest son Esau. Esau who didn't care about this blessing. Esau who sold it for a bowl of lentils and a chunk of bread, because sliced bread, that was a new thing. You know, it's like 20th century. Thing. Yeah. Do you, do you think because he he spurned a blessing that God arranged it so that all this happened between the mother and the son and you go out and you act like your brother. Do you, do you think God... I think God's purposes were manifest regardless of man's intervention or deception. So the lesson here is, is that had there been no deception, Esau, who we know from God's reported birth, was of a different character than Jacob, God would have worked through. The whole lesson of this is it's not on us. It's God's actual working in mankind, not mankind's working for God. It's in the election of God that His redemption is shown. And when I say that, I don't say that in any kind of Genevan way. That was code for Calvinism. I didn't want to say that out loud in case a Calvinist was listening and might get turned off. Yeah, he already said it. For, for those that missed the point, Yes. Jacob was not at this point a saint. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jacob, Jacob was no Jake, Jacob was no winner either. You know, I mean, he's the kind he's the kind of infant that would grab his brother's heel on the way out of the womb. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, he's the one that wrestled with with God. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know. He's, I, yeah. So but let's let's remember Jacob. He had a tendency to win, right? <laughs> God's favor. Let people serve you, nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be your one who curses you, and bless be your one who blesses you. That is the blessing. That is the birthright. That is the inheritance that Esau despised. E I said Enoch. There's a typo. Where's my head at? Esau. That's not Enoch. That's Esau sold eternal blessing for immediate, temporary, carnal satisfaction. Esau sold eternal blessing for immediate, temporary, carnal satisfaction. Oh, now it's not just a Bible story. Now it's not just old bad Esau who didn't care about God. Now it's me. That me. My carnal appetite. My, well, I can get away with this. My, eh, the quality of eternal life is not as important to me right now than the quality of my fleshly desire that I want to fulfill is that counter purposes to God's holiness. He, he says, what use is a birthright to me? I'm about to die. Mm -hmm. Limited vision. Temporary vision. Vision on things that are of this world. Not eternal vision. Not eternal life vision. Not generational vision. I, I can appreciate you know, I, I, I chased a deer through Hill and Dale with Nikolai years and years and years ago in 20 degree weather. And after we got through with that entire hike, we were, we were down to short sleeves in the blowing wind. 
And, and we were eating, and, and like that, we didn't, that's all we cared about. We didn't care about the cold, the fact that we didn't find the deer, the fact we had to come off the mountain, none of that. It's like, I gotta eat. Yeah. So, you know, and we were hunting with rifles, shotguns. Mm -hmm. This guy was stalking game with a bow and arrow and came back really hungry to his mama's boy brother. And had to get, to get a deer or whatever, you had to get real close. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but to telling to me is this, I'm about to die. Okay? And what use is a birthright to me? It is an entirely devoid of faith statement that all these promises God has from... Look, I'm fill in the blank, you know? I'm stressed out now. I'm hungry now. I'm, you know, excited now. You know, what... What is the rest? I mean, this is now. I, what about me? I think you're me, right? So I, I that's so yeah. I, th I think he despised it. So absolutely, he 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 didn't until his brother took it. He's like, well, wait. La later on, he, he, he yeah yeah. Later on, he cared because now he understood he didn't have it. Yeah. And he said, well, he stole my birthright. He didn't steal it. He, he sold it. it to he him. bought it. <laughs> he sold it to him. So so again here here again you know the things that I despise and the things that I lose and then I I come up with a narrative that exonerates me from culpability. I blame others for my distress. I can say I, okay? And you mean us. I mean me. Preaching <laughs> about myself. You dude. mean us. You mean us. I got it. I got it. I tell you, I've made this bargain more times than I care to admit, and I'm grateful for the Lord, for the, for the blood of the Lord, you know, uh, of this just, you know, this is now, and not thinking about you know, when 10,000 years have gone, we have no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. Amen. My brain has a very difficult time stretching to that dimension. Yeah. Okay? And again, if you're taking notes, that's not Enoch, that's Esau. This is what we call a typo class. That's a typo. Okay? <laughs> See, that's unholy. To sell eternal blessing for immediate, temporary, carnal satisfaction is unholy. That's unholy. To sell eternal blessing for immediate, temporary, carnal satisfaction is unholy behavior. I think it's helpful to view it this way. I think it's unwise too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it, it, we're not going to go back to the do's and don'ts list. You know, don't do this, don't do that. No, no, no. It's a matter of what's your inheritance? What's your, what's your birthright? And how much of your birthright... Are you willing to flit away and sell for immediate, temporary, carnal satisfaction? Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. Where was Esau's mind? On the flesh. On the flesh. I'm about to die. Give me the food. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Follow after, pursue, strive for peace and holiness without which no man shall see God. If, you're, if you are spiritually minded, you find peace. If you're spiritually minded, it's not that you don't feel distress when you see trauma in the world, but if we see shaking in the world going on, and we look at that shaking in the world, 
of world systems starting to crumble. And if we're fleshly minded, if when I'm I, back to me, when I am fleshly minded and I see system, you know, I see American debt going crazy, I see all kinds of weird stuff happening and liberties being sold over the table with not so much as a small pushback. Um, and and I, I get distressed about what does this mean for my life? You know, what's this? What's, that's me being, you know, what, what kind of world is, are my kids going to grow up in? Not in terms of what impact are they going to have in the world, because God's not surprised. He had them born at this time for this reason. But, you know, I mean, what, you know, what about my retirement? What about my nice cush place? What if, you know, what if my measly little set-aside turns into a measlier little set-aside? What if I have to work till I'm 90? You know? What if Eddie has to drive me around so I can get to my job? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that's, so I'm, so then that's death, though. That's death to me. But now, if I, with a spiritual mind, say, God, what are you doing? Yeah. World systems are shaking. The world order is crumbling. This is God. This is exciting. What do you do? What, what kind of influence or impact are my children going to have in the world? You know, in, in, in a world that can't even figure out genitalia, what are my kids going to do for a world like that when they have biologically intact parents? You know, I mean, I, I, postmodern reconstructionism? Are you crazy? We're having debates, international days about pronouns? Are you insane? My God, he is awesome. Right? And, and so we could get spiritually minded, and that's life and peace. Right? To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind, check this out, we're following after peace, remember? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It's hostile toward God. You're interfering with my fleshly desires. You're hostile to God. You, you get an attitude toward God. Any discomfort I have now becomes God's fault and God's vendetta towards you. Never heard that before. Ah! <laughs> right? For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Here's the whole crux of the matter. My flesh cannot submit to, don't have idols. My flesh cannot submit to, don't make graven images. My flesh cannot submit to, hey, work six days, rest one. My flesh will say, work eight days, or my flesh will say, work two, take the rest of the week off. I thought there was ten days in the week. Uh-huh, right, right. So, it just, it can't. My flesh cannot submit to, do not murder. It's my first impulse. If I just killed you, it'd be out of the way. <laughs> Is that awful? But it's like, you know, if they were dead. <laughs> How many times in, in looking at... I'm weird, I know. There are times, I should start, I think, back to me. There are many times in personal and life conflict and, con and circumstance that I think, you know, if they were just dead, that would be the problem solved. <laughs> it's my flesh. <laughs> right? There's a great meme with that too. It says if you, if you kill one murderer, you don't reduce the number of murders in the world. But if you kill a hundred murderers, yeah, hey, you get somewhere. <laughs> the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, check this out. What's required to please God? Faith. Living in the flesh is a faith killer. Living in the flesh is a faith killer. I'm about to die. What is my birthright to me? Faith killer. What did that birthright cost Abraham? A hundred years of infertility. Putting his only son on the altar. I mean, we're so far outside of fleshly thought, he just took God at his word. Even his mistake he made because he took God as were at his word. Right? So to live by the flesh is a faith killer. You can't please God that way. Because if you are listening, if the if your body, if your if your flesh, you know, your body, this this sack of meat and bones is calling the shots, it no it, it feed me. Eat, drink, be merry. That's all I care about. I don't care about your relationships. I don't care about your long-term plans. I don't care about anything but feed me, make me happy. Right? And, and, and so, when your body is Lord, there is no faith. So striving for holiness. This is always, I, I always consider this to be kind of dangerous ground because it always starts sounding, if handled incorrectly, um, and even if handled correctly, there are those who will listen to this and, and say, well, you can't just slap brace all over this and say anything goes. You know, there's, there, there, there's, a, there's a host of people who, when, when you get into this realm, will automatically think you're trying to give an out. No, people have to be disciplined and pure, and you can't, don't even give them an ounce to even think that they can get away with anything. You know, and, and then in that subgroup there, you know, well, if you don't do that, you're not saved. You know, you've got to work for your salvation, right? Oh you know, and, yeah. and I can't tell you how many times that people, when, when people's faith has become shipwrecked, those who think that they're still in faith, and they may be, but those who are impacted by this, let's just say a husband and wife, and the husband finally just, you know, he just, his faith is shipwrecked, leaves the wife, decides to go back to drink and carouse and whatever, and then the wife who decides to follow the Lord turns around and says, well, I don't know if he was ever saved. Remember when I said, you know, if they were just dead, that would resolve the problem? You know, if they were just dead, that would resolve the problem. This wife decided that, that a theology of eternal condemnation and hellfire for someone they loved and produced children with is better than the thought that maybe they just gave up on God and are having a hard patch with Him. If you were just dead, it would resolve my problems. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to think that someone who's lost and just one of the devils doing me hurt than one of God's own children who I should be praying for. Mm. I'm preaching about me again. Except that, you know, the whole marriage thing. It worked out pretty good for me. Uh, <laughs> mostly it's because of my wife. But anyhow, <laughs> the other part, the part that's not my wife is because God. <laughs> Striving for holiness, okay? I hope I can do this right. The Greek word is hagiosmos. It's purification or a state of purity, you know? It's like when they sell Jesus off to get crucified, they don't want to go in the judgment hall because they might become, well, 
unholy, unpure. Right. That, that kind of holy. This ceremonial holiness uh, is the symbol for the true holiness. This is like the, you know, the, the, the black and white photo of the 3D reality of what holiness is really about. Right? In the King James Version, it's translated as holiness or sanctification. Okay? So first and foremost, we need to understand that Christ Jesus is our sanctification. We are holy because He is holy. When the lame man at the temple gate beautiful was healed, Peter looked at the crowd and he says, Why do you come to us as if by our own holiness we have made this man to walk? It wasn't our holiness made this man to walk. It was the Holy One that made this man to walk. And God looks at Christ Jesus, who is pure and holy, and says, That's what all my kids look like. That's what He created in each and every one of us. And we said... Save me, Lord. Okay? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. We were saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. So, the incarnation of the Son who we know as Jesus of Nazareth, was the Son of God coming into bodily form. The incarnation of the Holy Spirit is you. Because the Holy Spirit has come to abide in you forever. That means that every... This is going to sound kind of weird, because I know we're talking about God. But, see, before you were born again, everything you did, the Holy Spirit observed as a third party. After you're born again, everything you do, the Holy Spirit experiences as an intimate fellow. He lives inside you. Everything you see, He sees. With you. Everything you do, He does. With you, in that sense. You understand? He doesn't sin with you. He's there. Right? He's also there when you broadcast truth, when you love, when you go outside of yourself, when you stretch beyond, when you do the Christ-like thing, He's there, cheering on. He's the Holy Spirit. And so, through the new birth, through Christ, and through the Holy Spirit, you have been, past tense, sanctified. It really is a done deal, folks. You have been created in the image of Christ, in your spirit. It's there. Were it not there, it's impossible to get there. That's the whole point. Because your flesh can't do what? It can't submit to the law of God. It can't. So God rewrote your code. Now, your internal driving life force is one that says, I really want to please God. I really want to do what He asks. I want to fulfill His will. Now, all you have to do is convince your soul that all those bad habits it learned were bad habits and tell the flesh to die. It's easy. <laughs> it's simple. I'm about to die. Give me my birthright. That should have been the answer. I'm about to die. Give me my birthright. Not, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? No, 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 no. Okay? Now, two birthright stories. Esau sells his birthright because he thinks he's going to die. He just wants to eat right now. But then you have the son who inherits his entire birthright, has it all, the father gives him everything, and he goes and spends it on wine, women, and song. The prodigal son. When he comes back, he gets the father's love, he gets a clean robe, 
He gets a ring. He gets a party. And his brother's mad at him. His brother's <laughs> mad at him. But guess what he doesn't have? His birthright. Anything else of his inheritance is That's gone. Right. He already spent it. He That's already right. spent it. Our walk in God isn't trying to get somewhere. It's trying to stay somewhere. <laughs> we're not ambassadors to get to heaven. We're ambassadors from heaven. Right? We're not trying to get at his footstool. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. So, holiness... You know, if I were an American ambassador and I went to the Russian court and could speak Russian, what would they think? They're like, you're not American. That was a joke, by the way. I was thinking, you know, right, right, you know, someone who knows two languages, right? So three languages, trilingual, two languages, bilingual, one language, American. Okay, all right. I, I thought it was funny. Look, <laughs> sanctification, here's the thing. Sanctification needs to be walked out. We're not trying to earn something. We're not trying to be something. We're trying to behave in accordance to how we were created. Okay? First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's God's will. God wants you holy. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You are no longer a slave to your body. Now these drives, these drives are strong, these drives God put in, these, these drives are God-given. If you weren't hungry, you would starve to death. Right? You know, um, if, if married couples never got amorous, there'd be no children. Right? So, I mean, these are all... What the devil does, he, he doesn't create anything. He just takes what God made and he just kind of like twists it. Just put a little bend in it, you know? You take a straight arrow and you shoot it. You, if you know what you're doing, you can hit a target. You take an arrow and put a big curve in it. Wind up killing somebody. Right? Sanctification is behaving according to the character of Christ created in us. Sanctification is behaving according to the character of Christ created in us. It's not about trying to figure out a whole long list of how long should my shirt sleeve be, what food should I eat, um, you know, is there bacon in this? Because I'm going to hell if I eat the bacon. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's not about, it's about peace, love, joy, right, righteousness. Behaving in accordance so I'm saying, you know, sin is an identity crisis. Sin is forgetting who you are. Sin is despising what God has already done. Sin is forgetting your birthright, whose child you are. When I'm unforgiving, I've forgotten what family I belong to. When I'm not generous, I forget what family I belong to. When I don't love, I've denied my, my parentage. My origins, who I am, it's an identity crisis. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Sanctification is behaving according to the character of Christ created in us. Romans 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
and have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. If I'm a slave to righteousness, I'm not free to do those other things. Right? I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's very practical, very straightforward. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Boy, well, you know, when I was, I mean, I could lie and cheat and carouse and whatever. Because what was righteousness to me? I'm a slave to sin. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. <clears throat> you can read the Proverbs, you can read Job, you know, sin, sin tastes sweet in the sinner's mouth, but then it turns to gall and the poison of asps in your stomach. We're trying to avoid the bitter root. That word for bitter is astringent. Um, and Strong says, especially poison. Bitterness is poison. It's a poison. And, and sin, and there's no greater complicating sin than sexual immorality, um, engenders bitterness and, and spreads bitterness. It just, it just causes this cascade of discontent, of hurt, of me. Right? What fruit did you have? Those things are death. 22, but now that you've been set free from sin... So then, you know, when, when we struggle with sin, remember, it's not holding us, we're holding it. Because we've been set free. I'm not bound to my sin, I'm still holding it. Let it go. Like we read at the start of the chapter, right? Setting aside that weight of sin that so easily besets us, right? So, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen. So, you know, the debate isn't once saved, always saved. That's not really the debate. It's not one of these things where, oh, you know, did God give it to me all? It's a matter of, are you walking saved? Right? Are you walking at, so you see this free gift of God. No one falls back from the grace of God. This eternal life is the continual gift of God. It's the continual grace of God to do what you ought to do. That power, grace teaches us that we should walk holily. Grace does that. You know, if, if you were a slave in Egypt and had to carry heavy, heavy weights, and someone came to you and said, put that down, stand up straight, you don't have to carry that anymore. And now you're free. Now you're walking free. You know, everything's good. And then you, you walk by this gigantic piece of limestone and you think, I bet I can pick that up. I bet I can carry that. I can carry that a half mile. How about you? Well, I can go three quarter mile. You want to bet on that? You know, and so then we start this debate about who could pick up. And the next thing you know, these two idiot, they're guys in my story, because I know that's how it usually goes, are, are both like, Back down like they were slaves. They picked it up. They're free. Anyone who, who appreciates their freedom would look at both of those people and go, You crazy? I like walking like this. Unencumbered, free, standing up straight. I don't know if that illustration works, but um, 
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's talk about the bitter and sweet real quick. Exodus 12, 8, and instructions about how they were to eat the Passover meal. God told Moses that they should eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. And the way this is written um, in the Hebrew is that the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs weren't like a side dish. They were part of the meal. Okay? This wasn't like, you know, rosemary and thyme on your roasted, um, on your roasted lamb. No, this was bitter herbs they were to eat with the lamb. So I want to read to you from um, Kyle and Delich's commentary on this. And uh, they state, The bitter herbs were to call to mind the bitterness of life experienced by Israel in Egypt. Okay, Exodus 1.14. Why were they bitter? Because they were enslaved. We were enslaved. And that slavery to sin is bitterness. And this bitterness was to be overpowered by the sweet flesh of the Lamb. Mm. That bitterness was to be overpowered by the sweet flesh of the Lamb. Christ, our Passover, is crucified for us. That was weird. Um, you eat any salads besides iceberg lettuce? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You get different shades of bitterness. Right, right. We're talking, we're talking endive strength, you know, bitterness. Yeah. And this, this sweet lamb. Sweet lamb, see, the sweetness of Christ washes away the bitterness of sin. When Noah came off the boat, he took out all the clean animals, and he burnt them as sacrifice to God, and God called it a sweet savor. This is the sweet meat, you know. Now, I know we talk about savory and sweet as like, you know, cookies versus lamb chops, but no, we're talking about lamb chops versus gall <laughs> or endive, right? And, and when this meat is roasting, God called it a sweet savor, and he calls us the sweet savor of Christ, the, the, the smell of of Christ's sacrifice of complete obedience to Him is what He smells when He smells us. Right? When Isaac blessed Jacob dressed in Esau's clothes, Isaac said, this is the smell of my son Isaac. I mean, my son Esau. His prophecy over, his blessing over Jacob was inspired by the smell of the outdoors on Esau's clothes, and, and then he blessed him with the, with the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. Okay? The smell, your smell, is the smell of Christ, and God blesses you as He would His Son. Okay? Exodus 30, 30 verse 7, um, Aaron was to prepare sweet incense and burn the sweet incense on the golden altar of incense in the tabernacle every time he trimmed the wicks. Um, on, on the lampstand. So every time he attended the brilliance of the Holy Spirit and his place of worship, he was supposed to offer up sweet fragrance of incense, which is symbolic of praise, worship, and prayer. So avoiding the bitter is letting the sweetness of the Lamb of Christ overcome the bitterness of sin. Allowing the sweetness of praise and prayer overcoming the traumas of life. Psalm 119.103 says, Your words were sweeter to me than the honeycomb. Mm -hmm. And so the sweetness of the Word of God 
overcomes the bitterness of the world. It empowers you and equips you to be spiritually minded because it's a spiritual book authored by the Holy Spirit of God. You want a spiritual perspective on any event or any idea is found in the Bible. And those words are sweet. And it makes everything sweet. I, I know my own... I'm, I'm, I may be intellectually hyper-curious, I don't know, but I know I'm intellectually curious. And, and, but as I examine worldly authors and, and worldly science, and I see the hand of God through it all because of the Word of God, it all just becomes exciting and sweet, right? And then there is the sweetness of His love. These things engender in us this desire and continual drive and pursuit of holiness. Because when we're living holy lives, life is sweet. It really is. Life is like tense and stressed out and dramatic and bitter and all those kinds of things when you're giving vent to your flesh. It's not that life is easy when you're holy. It's just that it's sweet when you're holy. Mm. Understand? You know, if, if I'm being locked up because I'm a drunk driver, that's pretty bitter time. If I wind up, you know, I don't know, I'm testifying about Christ and I wind up in prison, well then I could sing praises to God and it's a sweet time of praise when an earthquake happens, right? <laughs> if we're suffering for Him, it's sweet. It's still suffering, but it's sweet, right? The sweetness of His love. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit, his fruit, was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Amen. Amen.